Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova, a bi-weekly audio business program exploring the intersection of cutting-edge business strategy and the innovations that can ignite business growth. As an entrepreneur with over 30 years experience leading high-tech organizations, I've constantly sought out new ideas that could take business to an entirely new level of performance. For Stranova, I've invited some of the most innovative business leaders out there and asked them to share their ideas with you. So sit back, listen, and consider what some of these new thoughts might mean to your business as we begin this week's episode of Stranova. It's hard to imagine it, but the first major graphical browser for the internet, Netscape, was released for the first time on a wide scale in 1994, some 12 years ago. That same year, a little company called Cadabra.com was founded with the idea of selling books online. In 1995, its renamed offering, Amazon.com, became public, and, along with Netscape, together can be considered as two of the major seeds of what became the first Internet business revolution. Those experimenting with the Internet saw many new opportunities for business, including everything from just extensions of what used to be mail-order catalog businesses tied to traditional stores, to truly novel startups built around the power of the web, such as eBay's online auction service. Many millionaires and even billionaires were created during this first wave, as well as people who lost considerable sums of money as the hype was oversold and the inexperience of some of the management involved became evident. The result was the pricking of what became known as the dot-com bubble, and the stock market plummeted in response. Layoffs resulted, and many people wondered what would happen next to the seemingly still-simmering brew of opportunities that the Internet provided. Well, what has happened is the creation of an entirely new wave of Internet startups, sometimes under the umbrella name of Web 2.0, suggesting a major revision to the way Internet businesses and their underlying technology structures are coming to life. What's the same about these new wave of startups is that there are a wide number of wildly creative ideas that people who were perhaps just starting high school in the last bubble are often a key part of the creative force, and that they're all stretching the limits of what's possible with the tools and technologies available today. What's different this time, however, is like night and day compared to the old days of less than a decade ago. There is a strong business component to many of the ideas now, for example, so that even if the financial models may not be as detailed as the Harvard and Stanford business schools might prefer, the bottom line still makes sense. Further, the costs of entry into many of the new Internet-based businesses are dramatically lower than they were only a few years ago, so that, believe it or not, a simple business may be started often for less than $1,000, and sometimes even for free, using various new services that are available today. And even a complex one might run less than $20,000 to set up and launch, with the major expenses being legal costs, graphic design, and hiring a software engineer to design the underlying structure that makes the website hum. The costs are so low, in part at least, because so many tools and resources are available to business creators these days that often launching a new generation Internet business involves selecting key elements that already exist and, more or less, simply combining them in a new way. As just some examples, web hosting services for the entire business may run less than $10 a month, online shopping cart software is included free with that service, and PayPal allows you to process credit cards without you having to work out any special deals. Add to that 
that web layout software exists that you can own for only a few hundred dollars, and using it is often only slightly more complicated than using Microsoft Word. There are many types of new Internet services being created, but one of the most popular categories is the Wiki, an online hosted tool where people can collaborate in the creation of documents, project plans, task lists, contact information while you're traveling, or the master plan for your parents' next big wedding anniversary is just a few examples, to bring together a community of users who often live apart from each other. The key to making the tool work is its ease of use for the customers who try it, the availability of a free version that allows people to experiment without being tied into a specific plan, and the creative energy of its user base. To help us understand what this new wave of Internet startups is like, we are very pleased to have as our guests this time Matthew DeWall and Jonathan George, the young founders of StickyPad, a new personal wiki service they launched less than two months ago at the end of January 2006. In a number of ways, they typify what is becoming more common these days in Internet startups. They have grown up with the Internet being a key part of their lives. They came to know each other for the first time virtually, and in fact knew each other for years in that way before they met for the first time in late 2005. And they funded the project solely with the help of a small amount of angel money. In keeping with the truly virtual and collaborative nature of this new business, we use Skype's online free conference calling technology for our interview with Mr. DeWall in Ontario, Canada, Mr. George in Kansas, and myself in California. Jonathan and Matthew, welcome to Stranova. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. Really appreciate it. Although I've introduced the concept of a wiki briefly in my introduction, a majority of those who are listening to this interview around the world likely don't know what a wiki is or what it could do for them. And before we get into your own company, could you give us an overview of what wikis are in general and why computer users would be interested in using them? We've always described it to people as more like a blank sheet of paper. And sometimes that even doesn't get the point across because it's, it's really a, a tool that requires one of those moments of clarity, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, it, it can be, it's, it's the simplest online database possible. And at the same time, it's like a trimmed down version of Microsoft Word. So it's, it's use, it really depends on what you want to use it for. I mean, there's personal uses and there's business uses as well. We focus primarily on the personal market, which has given us a great advantage because right now there's several different business wikis out there, and, and that's a huge market, not one that we really wanted to attack initially. We felt that there was more of a, a segmentation available for the personal guys. The personal use of a wiki, let's say, for example, you have kids. If you wanted to keep notes from each doctor visit, you could do that, or even if you wanted to make sure that you're mortgage was paid each month, you could use it as a way to keep track of all your bills, or just real simple to-do lists or reminders even. There's all sorts of different ways to use it. And, and really what it is is a collaboration tool, and I think that's what Jonathan was getting at with that, especially in there's a lot of things that you can merge business and personal use with. For example, myself, Jonathan, and I, because we're away from each other all the time, essentially, uh, we collaborate with each other and keep each other up to date on everything. So that we use that internally, our own sticky pad with that. As well, I know we both have our own personal to-do lists and personal organization. So basically, you can use a wiki for anything that you want to do, but one of the good uses for personal use would be for a personal organization tool. So I can keep track of my own contacts on it, so I can have access to everything when I'm away from my own computer. So as long as I have the Internet, I have the ability to go ahead and go to my sticky pad or go to my wiki. 
key, whatever it is, and go ahead and check everything and make sure everything is online and good like that. That's actually a real good point when I think about it, that when you say you have families gathering information or groups perhaps trying to organize something, this allows a group to basically have a community notepad, if you like, with individual pages, and there's a possibility of arranging links between pages and indexing what you have so that it's a way for anybody who has access to a computer, literally from virtually anywhere, to be able to, I guess for lack of a better phrase, compare notes with someone else in another location. And your comment about if you're away from your own computer and you're at another location, this is something that's very interesting because I think of the many, many people that say, gee, I'd like to be able to have a way to access my own PC someplace else, but I really don't want to go to all the trouble of remote access software or leaving the old PC on or something like that. This allows them to have those tools and, and that material is available in a space that's readily available even if the home system isn't even on. Absolutely. Now, you've focused on the personal use versus the power use, though you obviously have pricing schemes available for different tiers of business. We'll probably get back into this a little bit later, but you talked a little bit briefly about why you went after the personal market versus some of the other markets. Can you talk a little bit more about that? If we looked at all of the wiki providers or wiki farms that were already out there, for example, Social Text or JotSpot, they'd all build themselves as an enterprise wiki, and there was only one other competitor or provider out there that build themselves purely as a personal wiki. And if, if you have a huge market and there's only two people in it, there's definitely plenty of room for everybody. And I think one of the things that we saw was that from all the commercial standpoints of wiki providers, they really didn't get the personal usage of that. So it really was neglecting half the benefits of a wiki in the first place. So what we wanted to do was make it simple enough and this is the reason why we went into this market, essentially, is just to make something that's simple enough for the average user to go ahead and start using a wiki, and particularly someone who hasn't even heard of it before. So having said this, what do you see as some of the most common uses maybe that our listeners might consider for this? We are talking to business innovators from all over the globe, and we're also talking to people that literally are collaborating from virtually anywhere on the globe. What kinds of things do you think are common uses that they might want to put this to use for? I think for a business traveler, using any kind of a trip itinerary and keeping everything up to date with that, I know we have a number of uses on our website, but that's one of the ones that stand out for me, especially when I'm traveling. I can go ahead and put all my hotel details in one place, as well as I also used it doing my own to-do list for packing and everything like that as well. So very mundane things as well as very important things, and I can give everybody access to it that I need to have access to. So, for example, I can invite Jonathan to my own sticky pad and make sure that he knows my flight information before I'm gone out as well. So it really is a collaboration tool in terms of the mundane and the very important details as well. So keeping everyone up to date doesn't involve sending out five or six emails or if something changes, you don't have to go ahead and while you're on the road. That's very difficult if you can't have, if you don't have Wi-Fi or anything like that. And just go ahead and update your sticky pad, and then everybody knows about it as well in terms of our notification units and everything like that as well. Following up with that, and speaking of keeping in touch, I mean, there's a basic use for it right there. There for a while, Matt and I had completely different schedules. I would leave notes on there, he would come back in, and he would leave his notes, and just continue a discussion in a private area. And then we could also invite our 
other gentleman that's behind the company, and he can come in and catch up with the conversation, see what all's been done, what's changed, who's changed what, and just staying in the loop in general. Now, in the structure of the way the sticky pad is set up, you clearly have some features that are related to security issues, and again, one of the concerns that I think a lot of people have for doing web collaboration in particular is how you manage security. And you've talked a couple of times in this conversation about inviting people into your wiki. So I, I take it more for the listener standpoint here that the wiki is structured in such a way so that you can invite people in and still have it be kept private to that small group. That's correct. There is three different levels of access, what they're called. You have you know, just you, or you have a group wiki, or a, a public one if you wanted anyone to be able to come in and make any changes or just view it. Permissions are entirely customizable. You can make it to where your wiki can be viewed by anyone, but no one else can change it. Or you can invite certain people to come and, and become authors with you, and they can change it, but everyone can still view it. Or you can keep it to yourself, and no one else can see it or use it or anything like that. One other thing, too, that I know that's different from a lot of people that are out there is that you also allow people to have multiple wikis so that you could have one that's just you, one that's shared then with one group, and maybe a third one shared with a completely different group. Is, is that correct, the way it's structured? Absolutely, and in fact, that was a pain that Matt and I had initially. Whenever we first came out with the very, very, very first version of the software and Matt and I were just playing with it internally, it, it, we had to have more than one. There were certain things that I wanted to collaborate on with other people, even within my family. And then Matt had the same situation with his various client work. It was an obvious thing to do at the time. You've actually begun to hint at this, so I think we've got some of the answers on this next question, but let me go into it anyway. You know, although this is a concept that's been around for a few years, this seems to be the year between 2005 and 2006 that the wiki is beginning to pop up in many different places. There's now a number of different web portals offering wikis these days and even sites that have now become mainstream to many of us like Amazon.com now feature wikis as places for collaborative groups to work together or simply gather comments in an interactive space. How is your site different from the rest of the pack? I would say one of our key features is our transparency within the software itself. If you are a paying customer, you can bring this in as part of your own domain so that the person never even realizes that it's actually hosted by StickyPad. You can change your template and remove any reference to our name and really integrate it with your site. Wiki's more of a, a supplement than an actual website in itself in the sense that your company might have a blog already. Well, you probably could use a wiki internally just as easily as using that blog external. In order really for your employees to pick it up and begin to use it, it really needs to A, be simple, and B, look like it belongs there. If it looks just like your website, which you can do with our custom templates, your employees are already used to using it, they think it looks great, and their rate of adoption picks up. Well, and as examples in the business world, in my own career, in an earlier business, as I mentioned to Matthew in some of the pre-interview conversation, we in fact used an early version of one of the open source wiki packages as a way to keep track of the software work going on in our organization, in part because we literally had people from all over the world that were doing work. Sometimes when we'd work with a customer, 
we actually would have 24 hours a day of different software people on different continents working on pieces of solving the problem for that customer. And the wiki was a means of them all being able to see what had been accomplished as well as where to look for the results of that accomplishment. So this is something where, even though you've talked from the personal space, from a business standpoint, I'd like to emphasize to the business owners out there that what StickyPad is doing does make a great deal of sense for what you're doing, and and not even just technically. Imagine if you had a salesperson in one location and the head of sales wants to know what's happening, instead of just emails going back and forth, you may find that a wiki for a collaborative group that's all working on a particular client may be a much more effective way for everybody to see everybody's stuff instead of just sending emails back and forth that copy everybody's comments. Right, and uh, emails are very, very tedious when you've got a large number of people all conversing on one kind of a topic. And like you said, just even like threads in an email, you can have 50 or 60 responses to an email on a mailing list if you have a large organization. So this way what you're doing is basically helping the people stay organized without having them go through their own each individual processes to weed out unimportant emails and everything like that and go ahead and just show the important things to them and keep them up to date without having to go through all the extra hassle. And this is where making it simpler, and I I will use a phrase that, Matthew, you'd actually talk to me about, which is that although there may be a great deal of technology underneath this that is making it work, that one of the mistakes, if you like, that other early wikis at least seem to have done is that the technology is too visible. And one of the keys to making this accessible is to eliminate the geek factor, I believe was the phrase you used. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Well, like you said, wikis have been around for a long, long time. Like, for example, in your own experience, and technically you can use it and go ahead and use it as a collaboration tool, but it never actually went out behind that. And the thing was, if you can have that small group that you were working with and attach it to your accounting department for something, as well as your sales and marketing team, you have a wealth of information that you can go ahead and collaborate on cross-functionally. And that really is an important uh, thing to do in any organization, especially something like ours, which is so small, like a two- or three-person team with that. But what they've done in the past is, like you said, made the technology so visible to everyone that it confused the average user. So then the marketing and sales department that doesn't have a lot of experience technically, perhaps, then they can still go ahead with StickyPad and basically ensure that they can go ahead and use it and know what they're doing and feel comfortable in using it. And if you do feel comfortable, then you will use it more, which is important to the other groups that are relying on this function as well. Let me get to one typical kind of thing that I can imagine happening, and I'm asking this mainly to just clarify the process for our listeners here. One concern from people might be, suppose I've collaborated on something on the site and I want to be able to download it or remove it from the site, remove is the wrong term, but download it from the site so that I can then turn it into a formal document. You know, suppose that two or three people are collaborating on the writing of an article or an essay or perhaps a plan that is all being collaborated on. Is it as simple as just cutting and pasting into regular documents from the sticky pad if somebody wants to do that? Well, basically what I'll do is I'll talk about the future of it. And yes, you can go ahead and copy and paste directly from the sticky pad, but basically there is some functions that we're looking at and we have already in place 
is the HTML exporting. And basically what that does is creates an entire private version of your sticky pad for your own personal backup. So if you were looking at doing documentation or something along those lines, you can just go ahead and export the entire sticky pad. So that really makes it important when we talked earlier about having multiple sticky pads. So you can go ahead and have multiple wikis within your own account. And something we are looking at in the future, actually very near future, is a PDF exporting. So for a company that's using software or using our software to go ahead and use the documentation or provide internal documents like that, whether it's going to be public or private, they can go ahead and export to a PDF document and then go ahead and print that off. So all the dirty work, in a sense, is done on StickyPad where you can track your changes, see the changes that people have made and everything like that, and then go ahead and export it to a pretty document that you can go ahead and print off or supply to your users or supply to your internal contacts, everything like that. So there is something that we are looking at in the future, the very near future, as well as we have things in place already for it. So instead of just copying and pasting, you can just go ahead and use one of our exporting tools. Another interesting point for this interview is that unlike everyone else that we've talked with so far in the Stranova series, your business is indeed very new. It's actually only launched as of the end of January 2006, if I have that correct. I'm interested in a little bit about how you came up with the idea for the business, how you went about securing funding, and what the launch process has been like in your first, oh, at this point, just a little over a month of existence. Wow, actually there's a lot of history behind this project. The first idea in the domain registration actually happened right after I had got back from a 37 Signals workshop last January, January 2005. And, you know, Matt and I, we had known each other for seven, eight years before that, and we, we've always tossed ideas back and forth. And I stayed up all night, I think it was between 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, came up with the name for it. We really didn't have any idea what the product would be. And I woke up, or I stayed up, and then Matt finally woke up the next morning, I pitched the idea to him, and then after that I went back to bed. Matt gave it a thumbs up, and that was good enough for me. We worked on it from February 2nd to sometime in April, I think. Yep. And then from there we kind of took a break for three or four months and came back together in November and finished it up, which we entered private beta, I think, two or three weeks after we started again in November. And from that point forward, we were prepping for launch. And basically what happened in the first three months of development was we got sort of a working prototype going. And it wasn't anywhere near what we have a sticky pad when we launched it, or even what we have now, or even what we had in December even. But we got a working prototype done, and then we started to play with it more internally. So basically how we developed this was just going through and saying, what do we need in this piece of software, and then went ahead and built that. So we did take some time off in between, but like Jonathan said, it has been a pretty long process and that we've been thinking about it for a long time. Uh, the development itself has been probably about five or six months up until this point, and we're still building, obviously. But it was an idea that was uh, born a long time ago. And for the funding process, part of the reason that I wanted to get into this is because one of the things that's happened, especially with the newer internet businesses is that the cost of starting up an enterprise has dramatically dropped compared to what it used to be a few years ago. I mean, obviously, we look at Amazon.com as a big enterprise, but it started small. And many of the other portals, Yahoo and others, actually started small, but they still required a lot of money. 
I'm not asking you for how much money it took. I'm more just kind of interested in how difficult it was to go about getting the funding and what really was involved in that. We actually were self-funded all the way up until the very end of November. And then at that point, we brought on an angel investor. And you know, our, our ultimate goal was to keep as much of it as we could to ourselves, and not necessarily because we're greedy, but just because you know that's the philosophy that, that all entrepreneurs should follow, especially when you're first starting out. That angel investor, is, you know, he got us off the ground. We were able to buy our hardware. Matt and I were able to meet for the very first time in our lives. Well, that actually gets maybe into the next question there, too. I'm interested about both of you as, as the founders of the enterprise. What is your background that brought you to this business idea, and how did the two of you get together to make this happen in the first place? Yeah, you know, I think more than anything, we were just friends. We met online in 1997, 1998, and it was just through a, a chat network, IRC. And from that point forward, I think we've talked to each other probably just about every single day. We've always had ideas. We've always tossed ideas back and forth, and we've worked together on projects in the past. And I think the, the real separation between the two of us, where our backgrounds kind of began to diverge, was in 2000 or 2001, and I moved more towards the programming aspect of it, and Matt towards the design, and then both of us went to school for business, and, and I for psychology. Like Jonathan mentioned, we met on IRC, which is a very personal venue, uh, way back in our before high school, or actually we were during, it was during high school that we actually met together with that. And we had a team that was set up on this, and it's a nonprofit organization essentially. So we had a team set up for a various web development project. And what Jonathan was doing at the time was some coding in PHP, which is a web language basically. And I was doing some web development work. And we both sort of had contracts on the side. So when we went in and put our joint forces in together with this small project, with, and this involved some other people as well. We really ended up by hitting it off really well. I became good friends, like he said, and kept in touch over the years. And eventually, we both went on to university. And like you said, we both had very different backgrounds. But we both ended up going to university for business. And we always sort of had on the back of our mind that we knew uh, each other would somehow be something someday. So we really wanted to keep in contact with each other. And eventually, it turned out that I think it was back in 2004, we had a, one idea that failed, but we didn't actually get to bring it off the ground because of timing issues and everything like that. But that's when we sort of started with the idea that we wanted to build something together. And we could also identify both very unique skill sets in between us, and that he is a very skilled programmer, and I'm a designer as well. So basically feed off of each other when you're doing a web application. It's really interesting because normally the two don't combine forces in any person. Like I'm absolutely wretched at coding, and he's not that great at design. So we make up for each other's shortfalls with that, and I think that's the reason why we eventually ended up doing so well with Sticky Pad, and we're very, very proud of what we've done so far. And basically, that's a real driving factor for us in the future, to push us forward with Sticky Pad as well. So we have known each other for a very long time, and are very comfortable with each other. And like Jonathan said, we didn't actually meet until December of last year. So, and I think Jonathan will agree with me here that during that one week that we were actually together, we did more work in one week than we did in two months' time before that. So it really was a learning experience and really an encouraging experience in terms of sticky pad with that. Well, that actually gets to then the next thing. You certainly have done a tremendous job. Those that haven't seen Sticky Pad, and again, probably the majority of our listeners, unfortunately, so far, I think that people will be impressed when they see it. 
and yet you also do have a lot of competition that both exists and is continuing to grow. How do you expect to stay ahead of that competition? What's next for StickyPad? You've hinted a little bit at it so far, but I'm wondering what you can tell us, even though obviously telling us too much probably gives your competition too much information. Well, we've always listened to our users from the very beginning, and that's one of the reasons why we went through our private beta phase back in November and December, was to really get a lot of feedback on how customers were using it. And during that time, we had no idea uh, the examples that some of these people were giving us. And the descriptions that they used to describe what StickyPad was, was very helpful to us, both in terms of marketing, but also in terms of targeting what we were going to do with StickyPad and what features would be essential to these kind of users. Like, for example, we had a user who decided to start writing a novel using their StickyPad because of they can easily track changes and everything like that. So, like we mentioned, it has a ton of uses, but one thing that we found really hard to do was actually focus on what features we want to improve in the future and where we're going with it. So, obviously, together, Jonathan and I, we have a strategic direction of where we want to be in six months, in a year's time, in two years' time, everything like that, but it's just getting those features and deciding what we're going to do with the company and what we're going to do with the actual bit of software with that. So, the reason or the means that we're trying to stay ahead with that is getting constant feedback from our consumers, and we do that in a number of ways, both in using a very easy feedback form in the software, as well as being very transparent as an organization and saying that we welcome your feedback and we really do listen to our clients. And we've had some amazing praise in that somebody requested a feature, two days later we implemented it on the system so that they could check it out, and then we rolled it out to the entire application later on that week. So there really is a short time frame that really benefit to use the buzzword a web 2.0 company is basically being able to adjust your software and respond to your clients' needs as soon as possible. And I think that's where StickyPad does have an advantage over its competitors. It is part of the key to both what will keep you successful as well as you've even, in effect, described part of what is different about these very new ventures and that they are very personal in nature, they're typically smaller enterprises, and responsiveness can be much faster than you might see in some of the larger startups that some of us are familiar with over the last few years. Absolutely, and that's something that consumers have really started to expect from any uh, web application is that they do want that constant feedback and they want the implementation very quickly. So. It was a competitive advantage in the old days in terms of a brick-and-mortar company, but when you move online, you really have that hidden kind of agenda with every consumer in that they demand certain things very quickly and they expect that turnaround. So now it's no longer a competitive advantage, but rather something that keeps you on the same levels of your organization. Since I know we've intrigued at least some of our listeners to try out your service, and especially since the most basic level of service is absolutely free, could you tell them where they can find you online to learn more? Sure. We're located at stickypad.com. So if you put that into your web browser, and we have a bunch of information on the features that we have available, as well as lots of uses that we have. And like we mentioned, there's a ton of uses that you can use it for both personally and commercially. Wikis are a great organization and a collaboration tool that I think will be around for a long, long time. And that sticky pad, just for the audience here, is S-T-I-K-I-P-A-D. 
I want to thank you very, very much for your time with us this week on Stranova. Appreciate you telling us about what you're doing, and I encourage our listeners to get involved. Thanks again for joining us on Stranova. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure today. As you can tell from the nature of this interview, the new wave of Internet startups is definitely different than the past ones. Yes, there's still the strong creative force behind the concept of StickyPad, but there's a solid business concept to propel it forward as well. And behind that business concept are some other things to consider. Because of the lower costs that start and maintain the enterprise, along with straightforward ways to generate income, someone with a good idea can more easily launch these kind of businesses than ever before. The businesses are also designed more around continuous and responsive change to customer needs, as well as competition that may crop up, as opposed to the major revision and release approaches we might have been used to in the past. So that what you see two months from now from a given internet business provider may in fact be radically different than what you are experiencing today. With the relatively low cost of entry, however, comes the potential for far more competition in all areas of this new world of internet businesses. That provides a challenge to these new merchants to innovate continuously in order to keep us as a customer base that is both excited and loyal, as well as to create continuously increasing value to us, both as individuals and as a community. It is, once again, an exciting and new world out there in Internet space. For all of you listening, please do visit StickyPad's website and consider experimenting with their very well-designed tool and sharing it with your community. And while you're at it, you may just want to think about some other ideas you might like to create in the second wave of Internet startups. You still need a strong idea that will support an unmet business need. But the difference now is that, once you have that, it's easier than you might think to get out there and in front with your new venture. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what these particular trends mean to all kinds of businesses and welcome you to weigh in on our blog at blog.stranova.com. And if perhaps you're interested in help developing the ideas themselves, let us know that too at ideas at stranova.com. That's my reflection for this week, and thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about any of the topics in this week's show, please visit our website at www.stranova.com. And be sure to look at the current programs and resources pages for some interesting insights on our speakers and recommended links to related reference materials. If you have any comments on our show or suggestions for people to invite for future shows, please do contact us at ideas at stranova.com or leave us a short voice message on our Stranova comment line at area code 408-849-4394 or via Skype by a click from our homepage. This recording is copyright 2006 by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson thanking you for listening and looking forward to talking with you next time on Stranova.